Coming up on Telling the Odds, George Lucas sheds some light on what we would have seen in his sequel trilogy, and we unpack all there is to unpack in this week's jam-packed episode of The Mandalorian. What time is it, 3PO? It is time for Telling the Odds. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of... What was that? Sorry, hang Just on. Just keep going, keep going. All right, all right. You're on a roll. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode. <laughs> now that I can actually... In- 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 I go. can't say a single word today. Uh, we're going breaking down another Mandalorian episode, so it should be a good episode. We're excited. There you go. Uh, yes, welcome back everyone. Uh, great to have you here. Um, yeah, apologies for the quick, uh, you know, late upload, but that's okay. We're still recording on the Sunday. Um, just uh, scheduling conflicts, but that's totally fine as well. Um, so, uh, let's see, what the, the, what's the date? 15th of November 2020, the year is just flying by, and that yes. uh, also means that uh, what we're getting from the Mandalorian is also flying by, and we're going to have a lot to talk about this week, and I mean, I mean oh, a there lot. Is, there is a lot to talk about this week. There is uh, so much to talk about from The Mandalorian this week. I think, but before we do... Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, yes, but before we do... Oh, sorry, Michael, you were about to say something. No, 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 I was going to start going into it, but I realised we have news first. Yes, yeah, so we'll save it for we'll save it for our big, long chat that we're going to have. Uh, but anyway, our first uh, point of interest has to do with some news that broke this week, and it has to do with, uh, you may know him, It's he's a little, uh, you know, indie filmmaker called George Lucas. Um, he was actually uh, in discussion a little bit this week about what his sequel trilogy, uh, what we would have seen in it, and what we would have seen from his sequel trilogy. And it actually has a lot of interesting stuff uh, that we can now shed some actual light on. So mm. he discussed his original Star Wars sequel trilogy plans that, that actually include Darth Maul plus a plus a uh, a new uh, female Sith Lord that was actually in Legends a little bit and would then finally make her way to canon if this ever came to fruition. So basically, what it would have entailed is I'm just going to get it up. Um, yep. I'll just start by reading out what George Lucas actually said when he was asked. Um, he basically said. I had planned the first trilogy to be about the father, the second trilogy to be about the son, and the third trilogy to be about the daughter and the grandchildren. Episode 7, 8, and 9 would have, ta- would have taken ideas about uh, from what happened after the Iraq war, said Lucas. Okay, you fought the war. You killed everybody. Now what are you going to do? Rebuilding afterwards is harder than starting a rebellion or fighting the war. When you win the war and you disband the opposing army, what do they do? The stormtroopers would be like Saddam Hussein's Ba'athists fighters that joined ISIS and kept on fighting. The stormtroopers refuse to give up when the Republic win. Um, So basically he is... And it's very, you know, on point for what George Lucas always did when he was creating not only the originals, but also the yeah. prequels, you know, in the early uh, 21st century, is really taking inspiration from, you know, just, you know, flat out Reality, what we yeah. see in our own history. And because in a lot of ways, I mean, it's the typical cliche that when you talk about Star Wars now, like, uh, you know, Star Wars is about us, Star Wars is about family. And in a lot yeah. of ways, this would have been, you know, the biggest emulation of that. Um, that we would have gotten up to this point is that taking such real themes and putting them in the Star Wars universe, which, you know, we have really talked about in the past with people like when we've had Trayon and stuff like that. Yeah. We talked about like, you know, what Star Wars stories would we want to see? We really want to yeah, see, what, what, you know, what's the point? Uh, what, what does the Star Wars story convey type things? 
Exactly, yeah. And you know, that's an interesting point, though, because like, yeah, with, with George Lucas, you could tell he made the original trilogy. It was like his, his passion; he wanted to make it. Then, like, he waited a lot before making like the next ones, the the prequel trilogy, until he he felt like they were ready to be made CGI wise or whatnot. Is what he yeah. said. But like, it's interesting that then he then waited again before he would make the sequel trilogy. But like he he clearly implies here that he had like a reason to do it. He had like a, a like a passion, like a, a story he wanted to tell, a a message he wanted to convey, which is like kind of like kind of opposite to the way that Disney did it. Not saying that there wasn't any like passion or any like reason behind the sequel trilogy, but it's right. very clear that when Disney created it, when they Disney bought Lucasfilm, they wanted to do it because they could make money from it. And it's like it's, well, yeah. an, it's an interesting like difference between that. It's like uh the difference between the star wars films that were made because it's like i think now is a good time to tell this story in this way and i think now is a good time to to return on this investment that we just paid for it's like it's an interesting difference between how the star wars films were made and i wonder if it has like an impact on like the uh, the way it came across yeah no i agree and you know what this what george lucas is saying about what happens after a war is fought in terms of the enemy that loses like in the stormtroopers in this case it really sheds so much light on the choices that dave filoni and jordan and john favreau have made in you know properties like the mandalorian because Mm. you know what what he says about like you know stormtroopers they lose but they're not going to stop being stormtroopers in a lot of ways they think they they refuse to give up that's what we're seeing with the remnant stormtroopers in the mandalorian even what we've seen in this very week's episode of the mandalorian yeah, it's. I mean, it's clear that Dave Filoni is very much, you know, the apprentice of George Lucas. Like every time he talks about the choices that he makes, he he harkens back to well, mm. George uh, always thought that. You know, yeah. he he really is. Um, uh, I mean, I just said it. The 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 apprentice to his story <laughs> in a lot of ways. The apprentice. Um, <laughs> exactly uh yeah and you know what when you talk about disney and the fact that they were a, a, in a lot of ways the quickness in which they started the sequel trilogy was you're absolutely right in a lot of ways uh to make a quick buck um but it's actually also no secret that when george lucas saw the force awakens he said that there was nothing new and based on the fact that you know we now have this huge thing about what his sequel trilogy would have been like i completely understand why he said that because you can see all of the you know um you know they're, they're new they're, they are you know themes and ideas that we see in today's world but they're also incredibly new in terms of what we had already seen in star wars so you can see why he would have said uh, that Force Awakens, which in a lot of ways was a harken back to A New Hope in a lot of the wrong ways, was a lot of not uh, was not a lot of new stuff. So uh, I, I feel like all of this stuff that we're reading now, um, mm. you know, just gives so much more clarity to all the comments that he's yeah. been making in the in uh, you know previously since the sequel trilogy's cessation, as well as everything that Dave Filoni has done. Exactly. Because, yeah, we've only yeah, really gotten um, what we want, like what George Lucas does visions for it has been like kind of subtly through different things and part of that through Dave Filoni what he's said so yeah this is kind of yeah. like a, a a kind of like um encapsulation of it all into one basic idea of like yes this is what I was doing here's what I plan to do Exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like that you know so much, so many of the choices that Dave Filoni has made, whether it be in Mandalorian or like very late uh, season seven, by bringing back Maul and stuff like that, and making him such a crucial antagonistic point in the you know the the ending of the Clone Wars, was really. Uh, it can be seen as a precursor to what George would have done in the sequel trilogy, but also allows itself to be to exist in the world where we already have a completely different 
sequel trilogy, if that makes any sense of what I just yeah. said. But uh, George Lucas actually continued by saying, uh, you know, what we were just talking about, the, the stormtroopers, in fact that, you know, despite the war being over, they don't really give up. He said, they want to be stormtroopers forever, so they go to a far corner of the galaxy, start their own country, uh, and, and their own rebellion. There's a power vacuum, so gangsters like the Huts are taking advantage of the situation, exactly. and there is chaos. And Imperial um, warlords are, like, t- are, like, taking over sections, and, like, because the leadership yeah. of the Empire is just not there anymore, so... Exactly. I mean, look, Werner Herzog and the Mandalorian. He is mm. the, he's the, or, or Gideon, Moff Gideon. Um, the key person is Darth Maul, he continued, who had been resurrected in the Clone Wars cartoons. He brings all the gangs together. Maul's very old and we have two versions of him. One is with cybernetic legs like a spider and then later on he has metal legs and he was a little bit bigger, more of a superhero. We did all this in the animated series. He was in a bunch, uh, because he was in a bunch of episodes. So again, he's saying that Darth Maul would have been this main, villain of the of the sequel trilogy he would have been uh this sequel trilogy's kylo ren essentially um and it all makes complete sense why george lucas made filoni bring maul back in clone wars because he was planning to do the sequel trilogy until he realized that um that i guess uh i guess he assumed that fans wouldn't really want to see it that's why he sort of gave it away but Mm. i mean I, i i i I don't know. Uh, but it does, again, just shed light on a lot of the reasons of, um, you know, what we saw of Maul and all these brought back characters because they were going to be used for this purpose. And he sounds like he's making, um, you, you know, basically the, the whole season five Mandalore arc where Darth Maul takes over Mandalore and kills Pre Vizsla and all that stuff yeah. where they take back uh, the city of Sundari and stuff. It feels like a lot of the themes and ideas we got in that one arc alone mm. would have had a big part to play in this complete the alternate sequel trilogy because he said it's it's a lot of it has to do with like gang wars and and gangsters and bringing yeah. you know huts and pikes together and stuff yeah, like exactly. that it um, is interesting that like he's saying like just confirm straight up sequel trilogy would have had ball back as a main antagonist like i understand that like uh, george lucas wasn't was like a main leading person in the coin wars tv show and so he would have yeah. had great decisions to bring him back in that but it, i always saw it as like he was back in that because like that was kind of a smaller thing. Like if he just appeared in the films, it was like, it's like, he's yeah. clearly died in the films. Whereas like in the TV show, they, they still like the character. So they want to bring him back to do like smaller things. And it was always kind of weird. They brought him back, but I'm glad they did. Cause he had really cool scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But like, especially, especially if he's saying this after he brought him back in the clone wars to then also bring him back in his version of the sequel trilogy. Like, unless he then let, um, unless he decided like, early on when he was doing Clone Wars, I'm not going to be able to do the sequel trilogy, I'll just do the Clone Wars instead. Like, was he planning to do both, or...? I don't know, because, you know, the thing is, is that uh, it it sort of goes back to the argument that was made with Boba Fett being brought back to life, because um, George Lucas has always said that, um, you know, he didn't mean to kill Boba Fett off so you know, subtly, because he didn't realise how much of a fan favourite he would become. Right, right? Yeah. Um, And in a lot of ways, before all this stuff that we're talking about now, you could have made the same point for Darth Maul. The reason that George Lucas made Dave Filoni bring him back is because he didn't realise how revered he'd become. But now, we understand that he wanted him to bring him back for a completely different reason, which was, he was going to be the villain of a completely new trilogy which mm. is interesting to think about. And I mean, like I love Darth Maul. I love all the stuff that he was like, that, that, uh, you know, was, was added to his character thematically purely based on the fact that he was brought back. Um, that, you know, he, he lost, 
he lost so much to the point where he's been a pawn in so many other people's game yeah. to the point where we find him in Rebels and all he has, literally all he has to sustain him, the only thing that gives his life purpose is the idea that he could one day kill Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the fact that that doesn't even come to fruition. Like, you know, George Lucas is a big believer in Greek mythology in terms of it being an inspiration for Star Wars, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's made the, you know, the analogy that Darth Maul is a lot like um, uh, Sisyphus, who's basically, he's born to fail. He's destined to, like, roll a boulder up a hill and to just have it just tumble yeah. all the way back down for eternity because nothing ever goes right for him. Um, and mm. it's really an interesting point to think about in terms of how he would have even implied that in the rest of Darth Maul's story. Because you know that, you know, with someone like George Lucas, he would have just, you know, gone, you know full speed ahead with something like that and that's the part about George Lucas's mode of storytelling that I've always really appreciated even in the prequels yeah um, but uh you know he actually you know goes on about the fact that he wouldn't have been the only uh villain because he went on to explain that Maul would not have been the only villain and that he would have been drawing as well from the expanded universe by having the basically uh you know secondary villain uh being the twi'lek sith lord darth talon or talon talon or however you want to say it yeah, darth talon, uh, yeah. yeah she's basically a a female uh sith twi'lek who has who she's like got red skin she basically looks like darth maul if he was a twi'lek you know he's got she's got red skin with all of the black you know uh face tattoos and they're also all over her body as well she looks very you know menacing and, and badass and everything but she he essentially says that darth maul trained a girl darth talon who was in the comic books as his apprentice she was the new darth vader and most of the action was with her so they were the, so they were the two main villains of the trilogy maul eventually becomes the godfather of the crime in the universe because as the empire falls he takes over the movies are about how leia i mean who else is going to be the leader trying to build the republic they still have the apparatus of the republic but they have to get it under control from the gangsters that was the main story he says um which is also interesting and he finishes by saying by the end of the trilogy luke would have rebuilt much of the jedi and we would have had the renewal of the new republic with leia senator organa becoming the supreme chancellor in charge of everything so she ended up being the chosen one he says so that's interesting because uh, George Lucas yeah. basically says that she, that uh, just he says flat out that Leia would have ended up being the chosen one, which is interesting. Um, you know, mm. it definitely feels like. Um, does is it does it feel right to say that a lot of the stuff that George Lucas would have done in terms of rebuilding the Republic and you know becoming building a new Republic and Luke building a new Jedi Order feels a lot like the stuff that we didn't see between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Yeah, like, th because... the definite, definite big thing, I think, between before Force Awakens that we just we just didn't see was, like, what the universe was post-Return of the Jedi before yeah. we saw, like, it go back into a war again. Like, it was, like, yeah. we heard of, like, very limited amounts of things about the New Republic or whatnot, and then, like, yeah. straight up just the... The first orders here, and we're basically back right again to uh to a new hope of like the battling between the empire and whatnot. And it would have been interesting, like this is saying that we might might have seen some parts of the new republic and whatnot we wouldn't have seen. But just like everything he's mentioning, it just it seems again kind of similar to a problem I had with like Rise of Skywalker and whatnot, where it's like just bring back previous things to just continue, like like yeah, like not not being self-contained enough on its own. Like yeah, I, I guess in a sense, like maybe yeah, Darth Talon could have been interesting a new character that we haven't seen before. But just like having like Darth Maul appear in as a central antagonist of like the whole thing, um, and especially if it's continuing with like Leia and whatnot, I, I I do really like the more that I think about it after the fact how 
much the sequel trilogy became its own thing until it wasn't again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, it's interesting, though. But you're, you're saying something? Yeah, no, I, I guess I would say that, you know, we're sort of getting snippets of what happened between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens in little pieces of the Mandalorian that we get. Like, you know, the two X-Wing thing that happened in last week's episode. Um, but even that, that's such a small thing. Um, but it's interesting. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm about to sneeze. I don't know when it's going to happen. But <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, the idea that George basically would have had Leia become the Supreme Chancellor, the leader of the New Republic is, you know... In, in stuff that we haven't seen in comic books and other stuff that's been explained in like little visual dictionary paragraphs and stuff that you can't really put a lot of oomph into. Um, but, you know, it's been implied that she essentially be- did become a senator in the New Republic, but was ousted because uh, of the re- revelation that Darth Vader was her father, which even that doesn't make a lot of sense because it's not like you can judge her based on who her dad was. And it, it that's a whole other story. And, you know, like in the headcanon that we have now, Mon Mothma became, becomes the chancellor of the new Republic until she gets, you know, old and gray or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting back to, you know, getting sort of off track there, but getting back to what George was actually going to do with the sequel trilogy. I mean, I definitely would have loved to see it because all that crime syndicate stuff I thought, I think is, you know, really, really interesting. And if you were to draw from all the stuff, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, a galaxy wide Goodfellas in Star Wars, like, you know, that would have been really cool. And, you know, George Lucas being such the original filmmaker that he is, I would have loved to see what he did with it. And, you know, we're clearly not going to see it now, but it's, it's really an interesting, uh, alternate universe out there somewhere where George Lucas has his own sequel trilogy and, um, it's all very different, but yeah, there you go. I mean... Uh, that's that's really the end of the discussion. It doesn't really talk about whether or not um, there would have been, you know, if, if there would have been new characters, if, if if George Lucas would have had a Ray and a Finn and a Poe, like, would it have mm. just focused on an old Luke would, and an old Leia yeah. and an old Han? Or uh, I, I'm, I'm really not sure, but, you know, because it's, it's as interesting. Much as, as much as we do see, like, Vader as like, the main antagonist or whatnot in the briefing, for the original trilogy, he was a new character. He was an original thing and then with the prequels we got to see like the behind of that but like it's kind of like yeah the problem i had with like um palpatine is we saw palpatine's story start to finish and like and that ended only to be then brought back because like they were doing another one i don't know i feel like if you can kind of have a problem uh yeah no yeah i do see what you mean and you know it's interesting because like i thought the entire time uh, like this entire time i was under the impression that because he's talked about this uh previously i was under the impression that george lucas's sequel trilogy would have focused a lot on the uh microscopic world of the midi chlorians and stuff like that because he's talked in the past about that essentially it would have that's what the sequel trilogy would have been it would have taken us to a completely new world quite literally with all these you know all the stuff that Qui-Gon Jinn talked about all the way back in Phantom Menace when there are like literal microscopic life forms living inside all living things that control the the, the will of the force. Yeah, we should have seen more Metachlorian stuff. That was great. Well, that's the thing is that I don't know how long ago it was, but I distinctly remember, you know, make him making comments or at least other people making comments about it that that's what his sequel trilogy would have been about. And now we're having this where it's a completely different thing. And I guess maybe he just, you know, changed uh, the story based on the perception that they clearly would have had based on what he saw of the fan reactions to the Medichlorians in early prequel times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like all filmmaking, everything is open to interpretation. Everything's open to being changed. Um, it's all very interesting. And, you know, I mean, if anything or else comes out of this, it'd be uh, really interesting to see. And, you know, based on all the, you know, just the 
small fan petition stuff where you get just like, oh yeah, uh, petition for the sequel trilogy to be erased from canon and to have George Lucas make his sequel trilogy, uh, you know, all that stuff. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 per- it, it percolates on all these YouTube videos and like, you know, sites that are, that's never going to happen. Um, I mean, maybe it will, who knows? Uh, we can't put a lot of stock into it unless it actually happens. But anyway, that is the end of that story, and uh, it, it's a I'm it's an interesting can of worms to be certain. To I be just sure. love it um, so much. If Disney yeah. was just like, you know what, those films we made, they're just not real. We're gonna make them again. It would just, I know, it would be so bizarre. I know. It, they they they'd pull a they they essentially pull a Terminator where they'd be like, hey, we're making this new movie. Like we're making this new movie, and uh, you know those other ones that came after T two that you hated. Yeah, those just don't exist anymore. I guess. I guess um, that's true. But like, I feel like with those, it's like more universal hate. Like they were just kind of poor quality. Whereas maybe the uh, besides from Rise of Skywalker, the newer ones were just kind of more divisive. And I know because. It's, it it's just not just that. Endering to like the grumpy fans, like that we already thought was annoying in Rise of Skywalker, just even more. Because it's not just that. This is Star Wars, maybe the biggest yeah. franchise ever created, and like you know, if you could do that, you could just be like, you don't know what kind of hell you'd get into. There'd be a there'd be a bloody civil war. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's that, guys. So that is um, our only one and only news topic, but I'm glad it was our only news topic because we wanted to actually devote some time to it. But the next thing we're going to talk about, we're definitely going to devote some time to uh, because our main discussion revolves completely around a little show called The Mandalorian. We got Chapter 3 this week, uh, Season mm-hmm. 2, Episode 3, or sorry, not Chapter 3, uh, Chapter 11 of the entire Mandalorian overarching story. Uh, chapter 11, The Heiress, that uh, premiered on our Friday night. And uh, we're going to talk about it now. And again, we're just going to go right into spoilers because if you're listening to this and you saw our thumbnail and all that stuff, then yes. um, then, then, then yeah, we're just going to get right into it. So, uh, Michael, Chapter 11. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, all right, uh, sorry. Out of the news oh mode, into the Mandalorian mode, everything God. engaged. Wow, this was an episode and a half. I mean, in length it wasn't, but in events. I have no doubt in my heart to say, for me, again, this is just my opinion, uh, absolutely the best episode we've gotten of The Mandalorian so far. In my opinion, in my in my opinion, again, you may disagree, but I yeah. mean, and, and and look, the thing is, I'm not saying that it's the best episode purely based on all of the mind blowing stuff we got as from a Star Wars fans perspective. If you yeah. took all of that stuff out, you do you take Bo Katan out, you take all that stuff, right? It would still be such a strong episode because you're building out the world. You get to see Mon Calamari, you get to see Quarren, you get to see this new planet that finally has more than one bloody biome. There's both land and water. Um, there is so much going on in this episode. You get to see uh, it, it is so fast paced. The score, the new the new pieces of music that you got for the other Mandalorians in this episode, the direction, the shots in this episode were mind blowing. Blythe Dallas Howard, please direct more episodes. Uh, <laughs> it was just so it. it was just so good. The pacing, this episode never stopped. It was always going on, um, and it was just oh, it was it was it was great. Um, I I think I might have some slight disagreements. I look, I enjoy go it. Ahead. I think it go was ahead. good. Yeah. I, I just think, I mean, we'll go into the, some of the changes we long long, but like to me, this episode felt weirdly like an episode of Star Wars Rebels, which I don't know. I feel like I'll get into like in terms of the tone of it, it um, like we'll we'll be getting into it, but it's just in terms of the way that it was like 
it felt like the the characters, the Mandalorian and the child, were kind of dumped into a Star Wars Rebels episode, and then kind of turned up the uh, like realism and violence to like Mandalorian level. But I don't know. It's um, it was interesting. I don't know if it tonally felt as much like the Mandalorian as other episodes had, but uh, we'll see. I think you're right. I mean, this is really a stepping off point for the show. In a lot of ways, this episode didn't feel like any other of the episodes because there were so many other parts of this established universe that are finally crashing in on Din Djarin's world. Mm. Uh, because, you know, you're absolutely right, Michael, is that a lot of a lot of the time in this episode, it really felt like a story that was already going on that, that, that Mando just so happened to stumble into. And, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not... I, I didn't not like that because in a lot of ways, it was something that we hadn't seen before no i think definitely what we did see was really cool like yeah no i mean that's the thing i mean like you know you can say it's absolutely cool like you know some of the coolest stuff that we've seen (laughs) but at the same time you've got to actually make sure it's a good episode it can be cool and all that stuff like you can have those oh yeah boba fett's turn uh, i do definitely think camera and stuff but at the same time it needs to be a good episode we've seen a lot of variation in this season already which like yeah in the first season it was kind of like early kind of like telling the story him going looking for the child and and like the first like, couple were more plot based and then it got into more like just kind of solo single adventure side missions or whatever and then back to being more plot based whereas this is very it's all the one overarching plot but tonally each episode has felt very different from each other which yeah. is, is interesting and i think works because of how of it is an episodic show like in terms of each episode is self, kind of a self-contained story with a yes an overarching plot pretty much self-contained um, and each one is done weekly. So you see one, then you wait a week, then you see another. But um, yeah, it is interesting. I would just, right, maybe we'll just start getting into different things. But for one yeah. thing, I definitely did want to talk about, and I, I picked it when we were, when everyone was watching, when everyone was watching the trailer, and they yep. see it's an ocean planet, they see Mon Calamari and Quorum walking around, oh my God. and everyone's like, the... that, that's it, Mon Cala confirmed. And I say, hold, whoa, 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 hold your horses. It could be. Trask? It could likely Trask? be. It, but it's probably not because they have like yeah. only Tatooine's the only planet they've ever brought back. I knew it. I said that we need to hold our horses. It may not definitely be. It. Yeah, uh, well, that's the thing is that that's the first thing that I texted you about when we both what when we both watched the episode is yeah. that there are both Mon Calamari and Quarren here. But this place is not Mon Calamari. This is this is the estuary moon of Trask, as it was called by um, uh, Pelimoto in the last episode. Uh, it's part mm. of. It's in the same system as the gas giant Kaliban, which is that huge, huge giant that we saw the the uh, you know tattered razor crest just like float over in the very first shot of this episode. Yep. So yeah, it's not Mon Cala, but the same species are there, which is interesting because it sort of you know implies that in a lot of ways, um, you know. The planets in Star Wars don't uh, sort of work in the same way that you know countries do on an, our yeah. planet. Is that, you know, you know, is that you know, uh, f- there's there's the there's the country of France, but there also are territories of France that aren't even close to that. There's a there's a territory of France in in Canada and like just off of where we live in Australia and stuff. It's just like that. Is that kind you know, well um, historically? I don't think like politically they're controlled by France anymore. But like historically, they were they were part of France. But yeah, no, right, I, yeah, I mean that. that's <laughs> yeah, like that's why they are French people or like French speaking. But I think the the thing is is that it's um yeah, it's it's because it's like it's a water planet, and so yeah. it would it could make sense of like colonization slash um yeah, 
it could be so it could be either colonization like the Quran slash moncala people colonized it or it could yep. be like immigration like it was just an ocean planet perhaps even the species of the frog lady is there and then they just moved there because it was a climate or like uh uh a weather plant pl like a what's, like an ocean planet they liked so they can yeah, move there it's, it's but the it's biome just, that agrees with them exactly but it's just yeah. so interesting that aside from the fish people so the the it's not the fish people the frog people uh, and like the Mandalorians, I guess you only yeah. see like Quarren and Moncala people there. They're just everywhere, and it's like it's a real fake out. And look, I don't, I'm not too mad that we didn't see Moncala because it's like it, we basically did see Moncala if they would have just done a, this like um, little dock on Moncala. Like if they had just done that, it practically would have just been the same, in, except everything in name only. But like. And, and I did like how we got to see more of, like, Quarren and Moncala in, like, different settings than what we would see them normally, which is, like, in high politics or commanders or, or like, yeah. generals or whatnot. But they did they did my voice dirty. Every single time you see a Quarren on screen, they're going to betray... They're the bad guys because they're Quarren. They're the bad guys. Oh, my... Because that's the thing is that... I that's knew it. Why I, knew I, I, I was watching the episode and I really knew that you were not going to like that because I know how much you love the, I know how much you love the Quarren, but at the yeah. same time, every time they're on screen, they're portrayed as the bad guys. Every time. Um, I mean, seriously, no Sarai was a nice guy. Star Wars. Yeah. That's I mean, the thing. He, no uh, Sarai was kind of betrayed. Well, he was kind of misled, but then he was still like kind of honorable in the sense where he, he like when he worked out what was wrong, he did the right thing and, and were, and, uh, decided to follow Prince Lee Char, which was good. And like, that was interesting because that really gave a new side to the Quarren. That was like, they are a nuanced people. They're not just the antagonist species of Star Wars or whatnot. And then we come here and they're like, oh no, they're just gangsters and criminals. Yeah, you know. And then Moncala, they're the good guys. It's just, it, it feels like it's made, yeah, it, which it is. It's made for the people who watch the movies where they're like, oh, that's a good guy species. That's a bad guy species. I get it. And it's just like, that's just so simple and boring. I, I guess. I mean, oh, okay, look, yeah, I mean, you. Yeah, I, know, I know how much you love the Quran, but you also know how much I love the Mon Calamari. Yeah, I love Mon Calamari too, but they're, like, they're, yeah. my, they're, my, they're my favorite Star Wars species, so, so exactly. to see them back <laughs> just was, was, a couple was fantastic. Yeah, and I just love the guy who, uh, you know, was looking after the Razor Crest. Not only was he wearing a literal, like, fisherman's jacket <laughs> that you would see yeah, on, on on just, like, in everyday life where we are, but just the way he was just, like, going so nonchalantly about his day where he was just like, can you fix mm. it? And he was like, nah, but I can make it fly. <laughs> and the yeah. way that he just, like, you know, just put the Razor Crest back together with, like, fish nets and, you know, it's just, <laughs> it was so it, funny. It um, kind of feels like it's similar to with the Moncala, maybe something like a Wookiee. Like, you wouldn't see them do a Wookiee and then, like, just a Wookiee be a bad guy. Like, there have been in Legends, there was, like, a Wookiee bounty hunter or whatnot, but it's just, it feels like they're, they're, they're stuck or they're deciding to be stuck to this, like, arbitrary system of, oh, good guy species, bad guy species, because it's a language that people can easily read. They can be like, okay, I've seen those guys before. They're the ones that are bad guys. Those are the ones that are good guys. Which, it's kind of, again, leads into this idea of binary good evil in Star Wars. Like, the Force, I get it. There's binary, there's dark side, there's light side. But a lot of the, like, the Star Wars universe is more gray in terms of what are the good guys and what are the bad guys. Like, the Republic had problems. The Separatists had some correct ideas. They were both being misled by a Sith Lord, but, like, there is, like, grey areas to it. And this idea of just, like, every species either being one of the good ones or one of the bad ones, it's just really annoying and counterintuitive. Like, I don't know. 
Well, I'm sure the Quarren aren't all bad. I'm sure there's some of those people were nice. Almost every time they've appeared in a Star Wars story, it's been as a villain. The only time I would say it kind of isn't was with like Noserai, where he where he was like a kind of redeemed at the end, and maybe like there was a Quarren senator. But even then, I think he joined the Separatists. So yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, I, I can't speak for the 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 um. Uh, the dichotomy that many species seem to just get drawn into. Like, you're right. If we were to see someone like a Zabrak, you know, we mm. would instantly think, oh yeah, Darth Maul, bad guy. But, you know, it's, it's, it is interesting because I, you can't, I don't really know. But, you know, it brings up an interesting point, Michael, because I've actually never really thought of it like that because, you know, when you see, you, you're absolutely right when you say that, you know, you wouldn't expect, uh, you know, a Star Wars property to make, Mon Calamari a bad guy because people have because people love because they're so we've gotten so used to seeing characters like Akbar and Radis be on the good side there would almost seem unnatural for them to be um yeah. you know like, the bad this, guys it's this idea of the good side I think it's just really interesting like, yeah uh what was it? there was something I was thinking of maybe Th- it might have been the Thrawn book or something where we very rarely see differing perspectives in the Star Wars universe from a, uh, what's the term, um, uh, like, understandable, like, kind of way. Like, we very rarely, yeah, like, most of the time, we'll see, if we see someone from the Empire, or see someone from the Separatists or whatnot, they discover the, the problems with their side and end up joining the good guy side, which makes sense. Like, I'm not saying that the Empire are good at anything, but, like, <laughs> there's just a, such a, there's just very, a restrictive binary in terms of, like, Everything must fit into the good guy, bad guy side in the Star Wars universe. And maybe that's like a weird, like kind of like merchandise, like prop, like IP thing. It's like, oh, the good, you get to play as the good guys, you get to play as the bad guys. But it just feels like a very unnuanced way of telling things. Yeah, I guess. Like, I, mean, I like how know, we get to see the, em- like the rebels and the Empire kind of be antagonists to the Mandalorian in some of the show. Like, yes, he was he was friendly with them in episode two, but in one of the episodes he like steal they steal from like a Republic ship. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's more interesting when we do see like nuanced versions of like sometimes sometimes like yeah, like democracies and stuff can be bureaucratic and have like corruption in them and and that's that's an interesting side to it. Like that was some of my favorite parts of the Republic when you when you start to realize the Republic are not a great not a great government or whatever in the Clone Wars. Like those are some of the most interesting episodes. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're right. The the, the episodes of like Clone this Wars. This is a long winded discussion. It's got nothing to do I know, with the Mandalorian. I mean, all, all I got to say is this is not where I thought the discussion was going to go. Mark, no, but I'm glad it did because you know I like to talk about stuff that we haven't really talked about, you know, previously. But you're right. The stuff that you see in like Clone Wars, where they really focus on the bureaucratic Senate parts of the Republic, I actually found that very interesting when they did episodes on that when they did like you know senate murders i think that that episode mm. was or when they're talking about the whole passing of the bill to create more clone troopers and stuff i always thought that, that was actually quite well done in terms of how it was um how it was uh, handled by the people who made clone wars um and as far as like a universe in the universal context for why the mon calamari are always good guys i mean look it, it is canon that in the early days of the Empire, the Empire actually, uh, you know, decreed or whatever that the Mon Calamari people, quote-unquote, weren't sentient. And because of that, the Mon, Cal- mm. the Mon Calamari got so, you know, pissed at them that they joined the Rebellion. And ergo, you're not going to see a lot of bad guy Mon Calamari because we're always on no, the side of the Rebellion. I understand um, that. But at the same time, I agree, is that, you know, 
in a in a time that we are in now, where the empire is is gone, other than the remnants that you do see of them, um, it's not you know you can't sort of just make the assumption yeah. that because you've seen so many good Mon Calamari, like Lee Char, like Akbar, like Radis, like all of them, like Senator Tills, who you name it, that mm. they're all gonna be good guys. You know that you know there might there yeah. uh, there there should be some gray area. You know, I, I just and think, I so alongside what you're saying, like also I think the Quarant did end up joining the or like at least a lot of Quarant ended up joining the rebellion because the Empire was pretty um, alien racist. So makes sense, but yeah. like. Like, I understand, yes, a Quarren's not going to join the Empire. However, a lot of the time, antagonists in the Star Wars franchise, especially very, like, obvious antagonists, are, like, pirates or, like, raiders. In fact, we've seen a lot of them in The Mandalorian. And there's nothing stopping, like, a Quarren that's, like, in, like, a like a, a like a, a backwater planet who's just looking for some credits or to steal some Beskar or whatnot from doing it. Like, I would have think it would have been really interesting if we had seen a mix of Quarren and Moncala on the ship. Like, that could have been more interesting, but I think they were going for more of, like, a a family type thing where it's like you killed my brother type Corrin, like they were all like kind of related, but you know, yeah. we, just, we didn't see that. And it was like all kind of just the one, you know? Yeah. I get what you mean. Um, so, so yeah, that's, it was, that's, it that's was, I like they were there. I no, just, yeah, just to wrap it up. I like they were there. However, some of the choices meant seemed very, sorry, the choices done seemed quite lazy to me and were just kind of like done, which, for the like just for the specific audience which is fine but i like how a lot of the mandalorian has been done for both the like the more mainstream audience as well as more hardcore fans and this kind of felt like it wasn't done for that so yeah that's just my take but that's got like such a small part of this episode (laughs) well yeah i mean that's the thing is that maybe that wasn't you know that that was sort of to you know pander to the ideologies that become so inherent in watching star wars but at the same time, God, I loved so much of the stuff that they did in this episode, and that's and I that's why I do stand firm on the fact that it may be one of my favorites of the entire uh, eleven <laughs> chapters that we've gotten so far. And yep. I mean, let's just get into it. When 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 Bo-Katan landed on that ship, I I texted Michael right after and said the noise that came out of me when she landed on that ship was not yeah. was not human because this is exactly what I want from Star Wars: the idea that you can bring in people from other you yeah, know. Sure. Um, from from other properties, which by the way, thank just just thank God for Clone Wars, by the way. Uh, but that's beside the point. Um, yeah, because that's another thing is that when she takes her helmet off, and Katie Sackoff was so good in this she show, did a very good uh, job, in, yeah. in in this episode, because you know, I mean, you'll notice immediately from her voice, Katie Sackoff also does the animated voice of Bo-Katan that we've seen in the, in the past. But yeah. I also just love Katie Sackoff as a as an actress because other stuff that she's been in, she's just so cool and to see her in the Mandalorian is just an awesome awesome thing um because I love a lot of the stuff that she's done previously just so to see her come back to this world in live action portraying a character that she clearly has a lot of history and appreciation for uh was just oh I just I was just over the moon and to hear her talk about the fact that you know she's trying to get the dark saber back because she is the rightful heir to uh, to it after what we saw of her receiving it in Rebels, it's yeah. just oh I, I it's it's just make it it's building out the world in ways that I didn't think we would get in this episode alone because now yeah. we have so much we uh, everything makes so much more sense we mm. understand why the Mandalorian covert that was on Navarro is so disconnected from everybody else and mm. we also understand why all these new rules 
all these new rules that exactly. you know the, what what happened in very early, early on in chapter one where you get to hear them say this is the way all the time and they never take mm-hmm. off their helmets like why didn't we see you know the Mandalorians in Clone Wars or Rebels doing exactly. this at any that time that was one of my favourite things this is, oh, is because this is their own thing like yes. they are they have broken off from what you can basically call the modern Mandalorians and choose to adopt the the more, the more ancient ways where they were essentially where they've essentially become uh, well, you know, Bo-Katan says it herself, religious zealots, you know, they, they are not what mm. the, what, the, what Bo-Katan and the rest of the people that she was with would like to, you know, see as the ideology that they want to portray, which is, which is interesting. And I'm curious as to what that will mean for, you know, um, Din Djarin's loyalties, you know, I mean, like what is this is this, I'm not sure if this is going to change his entire outlook on how he goes about his life. Like, is he going to have a little bit more, um, you know, is is it going to go through his mind next time? Is like maybe I am allowed to take off my helmet because you know they can do it. Why can't I? It's 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 really interesting uh, if that'll ever change. But it's yeah, yeah it's no no. I, I think yeah, it was very. I didn't expect them to address the dis- difference between what we'd seen here, Mandalorians, to what we'd seen in like Clone Wars and, and previous materials and whatnot. I thought that they were just going to like, especially for like that mainstream audience, address it just like this is just what Mandalorians are. And we just do it like this. But I really liked the way that they brought that up. The way they're like, no, these Mandalorians, the ones you've seen in the past, they are like that. But the ones you've gotten to know are this religious, religious zealot thing. But it was just, it's definitely, that was like really interesting choice. I, I definitely liked how we got to see more parts of the Mandalorian, like order, like Creed or whatnot. But like, it is so varied within that whether it be like the religious arts, whether it be the death watch that or Katan stems from or whatnot, or whether it be the more pacifist side that was, we got to see in the clone wars. Like it is a very distinct and varied culture. And that was a really interesting part of, uh, we get, we got to see in this and especially his reaction to it. Like that his immediate was actually, he was so like shocked that they took off his helmets. Like that. I saw memes where it was like a, a surprised face or whatnot. But, um, and so, and his immediate reaction was, oh, you're, you're like traitors to the order or, or like Mandalorian order or whatnot and just kind of left. Yeah, because he's known no other way. That's how he's been brought up. And it's interesting to think about is because you're absolutely right. Bo-Katan was at one point a member of, of, of Death Watch. And, you know, it, I mean, it's become clear in this episode that Din Djarin belongs to this religious, religious zealot group by no fault of his own. He's just, that's how he was raised. But at the same time, you know, when he was a kid, he was rescued by Death Watch. You know, mm. so whatever form of Mandalorian he has become stemmed from Death Watch, but at the same time, Bo-Katan also comes from Death Watch, but she has an entirely new set of rules. You know, so mm. it's it's really interesting to see at what point this you know comp- this this religious there is this religious elite group actually broke off. It may, may, maybe it happened at some point after this purge that we've never seen at, at this at this point, because yeah. Bo-Katan says, "I fought in the purge." You know, because. And a lot of people actually confuse the purge with the siege of Mandalore. That's you know, it's not the same I thing. Think, yeah, um, it's implying that the purge is post Rebels, but pre Mandalorian. So during the original trilogy, or pretty much around that time, at some point. I and I think what's been brought up is basically what happened is you know in the in that episode of Clone Wars in season seven where they leave Mandalore and the Order sixty six thing happens, you'll realize that a bunch of uh of clone shock troopers actually stayed behind. Yeah. Um. To, because that was to quote unquote, uh, ensure 
Everla- ensure ongoing peace after the siege was done. But exactly. essentially, what that essentially what that meant was after Order sixty six was enacted, Palpatine had those clone troopers that stayed behind basically um, just cause more havoc and basically you know restart the battle to the point where the Mandalorians were completely you know incapacitated and wiped out, and that kind basically of. started the purge. Well, because um, we see in Rebels that the purge hasn't happened yet because the Empire is under occupation of the. So Mandalore is under occupation of the Empire, with where a certain Mandalorians, the ones that we saw with Gar Saxon and whatnot, were working with the Empire. So yes. at that point, the the purge hasn't happened. It was just under imperial occupation, and they were mentioning a little bit in the story that like Mandalore wasn't able to like they weren't able to be brought under uh, imperial rule because they were too uncooperative or something, and that's why the purge happened or so. And so right. I think it I think it did happen later. Um, it probably still it would have been Empire. That they would have they would have done something and i think we'll definitely see or hear more about the purge because they've been subtly referring to it throughout the whole show but yeah, yeah. i think i think it's after that though. well yeah i mean you know what else i feel like this is one of the very first episodes where a lot of our trailer breakdown theories actually happened because i remember us talking about that shot where mando is in the watery cage just underneath the quarant ship right where he's yeah uh, you know he gets he gets trapped in the, and the child almost gets eaten, which was, you know, very shocking when that happened. Um, but I feel like that was one of the only things we were right about so far is that he gets trapped because they're after, they're after him, essentially. They're after his armor. They're after what he can give them. Uh, and basically what we were talking about every time the possibility of Bo-Katan came up before season two started, you know, when it was first talked about that she would probably show up, we were talking about what implications that would have for the story going forward because mm. we talked about the fact that she would really want the Darksaber back and we, fortunately, yes. were right. That's the, that's exactly what she wants and exactly what focus. she's after yeah. because that's her focus. She wants to get the Darksaber back so that she can essentially create a new order on Mandalore to, to bring their people back together um, because if anything has become you know abundantly clear in this episode and you know what will we what we will see going forward it's that the mandalorian people and the soldiers themselves are really divided and that's something that was also very you know different is that these were not bounty hunters these were soldiers as you can tell in the way that they fight and um yeah. it's all, i mean it was also confirmed the moment she takes off her helmet that sasha banks's character is a mandalorian uh which itself is interesting, you know, because we wouldn't have thought that she was a Mandalorian when we saw her in the trailers, because up until that point, we were under the impression that there was still this whole they don't take off their helmets rule in place for everyone, which is, yeah, it's it's interesting. Because, yeah, it, you know, that, that that's the thing that we were talking about, you know, when we were, uh, the whole thing about them not taking off their helmets, the whole problem that we had been faced with, with uh, which is, you know, why don't they take off their helmets now, but they took off their helmets all the time in the Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff, right? I always assumed that it was because because they had been forced to live underground and they'd been forced underground and they were completely divided and scattered, that they had mm. to keep their helmets on to sort of protect themselves. And that sort of just fell into how they work religiously. But now we have a completely new understanding for it. And I love it. I love the way that they're building out the world. And I love the, and I love just the, the helm that the writers and the creators of this show have on the story that they're telling, which is, it just, I, I love it. Can't tell you how much I'm in love with this, with this show. Mm. Um, yeah. And, uh, I guess what I get into next is a lot of the action that takes place because uh, the thing that basically proves as the main set piece of this episode, you know, I mean, we've only seen the Gazanti uh, Imperial freighters in Rebels. Yeah, that so was to really see cool. one of them like back that. was awesome because I love that those ships. They're, they're, they're great. 
this, this is the thing. It's like, I, I, I think I've shifted a little bit more. I, I did really like this episode, and a lot of things were going, but there were lots of little things that kept reminding me of Rebels, like when Bo-Katan shows up, or like the way they would like have like a, a character be like from the Moncala, or like the Gazanti was there, or like they would like kind of break into an Imperial thing and kind of like single-handedly take out the whole thing. It was, it was, I don't know. It just kind of like felt totally like it was like, it wouldn't be out, it wouldn't be completely out of place if instead of the Mandalorians and uh, Jinjara, and if it was like the Rebels crew and like Bo-Katan or whatnot. I don't know. It would be funny. I suppose so, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that that's, uh, and uh, you know what? After this episode, um, we, we had some previous fears before the, se- before the second season started that with all these people that were rumoured to be showing up, that they would overshadow the story that they're trying to tell, that they would overshadow Din Djarin and the child. Um, but now we've gotten, we've gotten Cobb Vanth, we've gotten a tease of Boba Fett, and mm. we've gotten Bo-Katan and the name drop of someone else that we're, that we'll talk about shortly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have been getting all of these uh, other areas of what is basically now the Filoni verse. <laughs> um, mm. And, you know, they're, they're being integrated into this episode so flawlessly and so well that they can show up, they can be awesome, and they can make uh, fans of the Clone Wars and other Star Wars media like Michael and I absolutely lose our shit. But at the same time, Mandalor- the, the, uh, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, still gets time to, to have those awesome moments where he, like, rampages down a, a hallway just being bombarded by laser fire and explodes, like, an entire cadre of stormtroopers by himself. Like, it's the perfect mix, and that's why I have the... Com- like, I said I had complete trust in Dave Filoni and John Favreau after, after Chapter 1. That complete trust has just been elevated now that we've seen so many different parts of Star Wars be integrated so flawlessly and seamlessly and I can't wait for what that all will also mean when we get even more of it in the next coming weeks with the tease that we got at the end of this episode mm. yeah definitely yeah. I think this has been a really good setup for like the the more connected part of what the Mandalorian will be like last yeah. episode was very much just like an in-between just um like but we could have, you could have easily, like, aside from the, the, what's it called, being destroyed or whatnot, you could have the end or the beginning of the last episode and, like, these, the start of this episode kind of, like, seamlessly go into each other without missing much. So, but the last episode was fun, whereas this one, very much setting up the series, addressing the main, like, continuing the main search for the Jedi and, like, a main clue that he's found. It's like, yeah, I, I did like that. And it, I think it gave just enough of a tease of the next episode that you're just like, ah, oh, I can't wait to watch it now. Whereas the last one was like, I'm happy with this. I can wait a week. Whereas now you're like, I can't wait. I need to go it now. I know. Well, that's the thing is that you, you brought up the idea that, you know, all these different things are being integrated together. Um, I, I'm, I mean, well, you, I mean, you might remember, you might not, but you know, when we were talking about uh, that big spiel that Kathleen Kennedy did when she did an interview quite a couple of weeks ago, when she talked about the future of Star Wars and what that's going to entail, right? She basically started to talk about the fact that the future of Star Wars is going to have a big role to play in a large interconnected uh, Disney series universe. And this episode really showed that, is that they're going to have a lot of different stories going on at the same time that can, when they want to and need it to, meld, uh, uh, merge together in a very seamless fashion. And if they have the, you know, the, the, um, the filmmaking you know, minds that they have behind the Mandalorian at this time, behind all the other parts that they want to set up. I, you know, have no doubt in my mind that it will work based on what we've already seen. Um, Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we can sort of just get into what we were just alluding to a few minutes ago, which basically forms the end of the episode when 
Mandalo- when Mando is about to debark, he says, you know, uh, tell me where I can find the Jedi. And Bo-Katan says to go to the uh, capital city of somewhere. I can't remember. I'm mental blanking at the moment. Um, oh, yeah, the, 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 the city of Caledon on the forest, on the forest planet of Corvus. There you will, <laughs> there you will, there you will find Ahsoka Tano. Um, look, I squealed like a little baby when her name was said, of course, but again, we haven't seen it yet, but essentially what we're basically, you know, going to be getting next is Mando taking baby Yoda to Ahsoka, which is just, oh, I cannot wait. Um, because again, it just stems back to the idea that I hoped that the established characters would not interfere with the overall story. And look, if this episode hadn't been pulled off properly, and then we got that Ahsoka tease, I still would have had the very same trepidation. But seeing how well it was mm. handled in this episode just gives me the, the, the just all the excitement I can possibly have. Yeah, so, I think yeah. this was a good taster into like, oh, you like these Clone Wars characters? Yeah, have a Bo-Katan. This was pretty cool, wasn't it? Well, you know what's coming up next? We got an Ahsoka for you. It's like they were teasing the water like, you know, we can do this. Just be excited. We're not, we're not gonna, um, I don't know, what's the bad implementation? Something other Star Wars. Just, just, just jam them into the. Yeah. Just, we're not. Just, we're not going to just horribly ruin your favorite character. I mean, hopefully they won't. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll ruin Ahsoka and we'll never <laughs> see her again. But like, I don't think so. After we saw how well they handled Bo-Katan, I think, I think we're in good hands. So we're we're, we're hyped for that. Look, this is how fan service should be done. It is because this is the it's it's the perfect way to do it it's taking these these characters that people love and will get a really great reaction and make you love the property even more but at the same time actually giving a good reason as to why it's happening you know that is what rise something like rise of skywalker didn't have all the all the fan uh, not to crap on the rise of skywalker again but we're going to uh you know all the fan service in rise of skywalker was just there so that you would try to fall in love with this movie but it didn't yeah. have a good reason as to why it was there you know this has both this has both sides of this just beautiful coin that Dave Filoni has given us and uh, and John Favreau of course and Bryce Dallas Howard everyone who made this episode um giving these characters that we love and I'm so excited to see but at the same time giving them a good reason for being there Bo-Katan yeah. shows up awesome but at for the same sure. time like, there's they so much reason sense. like not only was like one there's the Mandalorians where he is from, like he's searching for Mandalorians, but also Bo-Katan's has history with the Jedi. And so it makes sense that like you would- And the Darksaber. Yeah, to find it. So it like complete, this is like very well integrated into the story. It's like a continuation of her story pretty much. Like when we last saw her, she got the Darksaber and was going to reunite Mandalore, but we never saw that. And so it'll be really interesting. Hopefully we can see that in the future, which would be great. If we could see Mandalore itself in this episode, in this show, that'd be so good. Because Mandalore is be, pretty architecture of what we saw in the Clone Wars. That'd be really... I, I honestly do feel that with the stuff that we got of Mandalore in this episode, where, you know, they talk about reuniting them on Mandalore and Din Djarin essentially saying that planet is cursed, anyone who goes there dies and stuff. That's It's really interesting because we haven't seen what Mandalore is like at this time in the chronology, post uh, post the first galactic civil war, you know, we saw of what, so we saw what happened to it before the galactic civil war took off in rebels, but we don't know what it's like now. And apparently it doesn't seem like a very nice place at all. Um, a lot mm. of people are theorizing and, you know, I actually like to put a lot of, you know, gumption into this is yeah, that actually, I think that, that we, that we might get to see, you know, 
Mandalore in, I don't know, maybe season three going on in the show. Like a lot of people have hypothesized that, that, that there'll be a huge part of this show that will conclude with Bo-Katan and Mando and a lot of the Mandalorian race coming together on Mandalore. Bo-Katan sitting on the throne with the Darksaber, just yeah, all coming together cool. in a nice, concise way. I think that'd be a great I way think... to, you know, finish up a really important arc of the show. Um, I think depends what we see with the Mandalorian himself, because something like that, especially it depends if they go for more through the more Jedi side or the more Mandalorian side with what he's doing. Because I think Bo-Katan will definitely come back. But right now he's leaning, going towards the Jedi side of it. But it's clear that they want this show to go on for a while. Like they've already, I think they said they've already confirmed season three or maybe even four or something on those lines. Like both, yeah. So like it's it's gonna keep going. But that's season three's already been filmed. Yeah. If oh really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So if they say if they like do some big triumphant thing, it's like where can they go from there? I don't. I like how self-contained the show is. And I, I do like it when they bring things in. But I think I, I still want the central story and the central main plot to be contained to the Mandalorian. And, I, and I'm happy for and it to I, continue yeah. arcs which the Rebels left off. Similarly, how Rebels continued arcs with Clone Wars left off. But, like, I, I just think like the, the my favorite moments of the show are the bits with the Mandalorian, with Baby Yoda, doing Mandalorian-specific things. Like, how cute was Mandalorian? Sorry, how cute was Baby Yoda with the little frog um, baby? That was adorable, and all those little. Things. And the and the, and the fact that he gets like face hugged, like he he yeah. he literally tries. Yeah. He 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 has like chowder that's got like a face hugger in it, for, and and mm-hmm. uh, Mando just turns to him so nonchalantly and like, don't play with your food. <laughs> it's just yeah, mm-hmm. it was funny. Um, and yeah, I did actually like that whole side story where the the frog parents say, "Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take care of you while your dad's gone, but at the same time, we're gonna give you a newfound respect for these things that you tried to eat last week," <laughs> which is interesting uh, because that was also mm. kind of nice having to see, getting to see their children born like in like little tadpole forms. That was kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, but what you were exactly. saying with the best parts of this show previously being all the stuff that you got with the self-contained Mando and the child on the Razor Crest doing their thing. I just have to, I, I can't stress it enough that yes, I love that stuff too. And despite everything that we saw in this episode, I still trust them to keep that as part of the story because they clearly love like Dave Filoni, John Favreau. It's absolutely no secret that they love Star Wars as much as we do. And they want to see what we want to see. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's, that's why they are such good figureheads for the, for, yeah. for properties like this. They're such good figureheads for Star Wars in general. You know, it's just, I, I can't stress that enough. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think we've been in good hands. Like this is saying, uh, I think for you, you definitely probably enjoy this episode a lot more. I think I still, I still really enjoyed it. I think there were a lot of, there were some choices where I thought, you know, not as big much of a fan, but definitely some of the parts that were really good in this episode were really awesome. Like, I loved all the stuff with the Imperials and they were breaking into the ship. There were some really funny moments. The Mandalorians that we saw on screen, like, I thought it was like, what we got a really cool representation of, like, Din Djarin's armor and how he used that. These guys were even more cool. Like, as you said, warriors, not bounty hunters. So, like, got great stuff out of it. So I think as we've shown so far, as it has been shown so far, the direction they're going is like is really good, and I especially love how different each episode can feel with each different director, um, but still have that overall story being written by um, John Favreau and Dave Filoni and whatnot. So you're right, I'm definitely excited to keep to see where this is going, and it it's just uh, as critical sometimes as I might be. It's just so much fun to have a good Star Wars thing just every week. 
It is. It's absolutely. You're absolutely right there. That it, it it all boils down to that very fact that we're getting new Star Wars content every week, and I just I I cannot be happier than I am now in terms of what we're getting from this universe. But I mean, look, you touched on the Imperials, you know, just a second ago. I'll, I'll focus on them for a minute. That that idea that they were just like, how many of them are there? Oh, there's like 10 at least. <laughs> but no, there's only four mm. of them. That was interesting. And something that we hadn't seen before, which is this really, I mean, it's, you know, you know, uh, macabre, but it's also quite interesting because we've never seen it before, is that yep. that thing that that guy does at the end where he does essentially a... Uh, yeah, he, he he crunches a cyanide pill that essentially electrocutes you and kills you, which is, which yeah. is an interesting fact because we've never ever seen that. <laughs> I was going to say Hail Hydra after that. We've <laughs> never seen that in the Empire before, and you're right; it absolutely yeah. is a Hail Hydra moment. And well, you know what they 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 do their Hail Hydra moment, which is long live the Empire. Um, exactly. It's yeah. it is bringing up an interesting idea of this like fanatic to the Empire because pretty much most of the time when we've seen the Empire in like the, pretty much most of Star Wars, they've always just been kind of like regular people just doing like just whatever their jobs are in the Imperium. And as soon as they're in danger, they like either run away or like, like they surrender or give up. But like, no, he was willing to kill like the other people and kill himself to fulfill this mission. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, it's really that, interesting that's, that's how devoted they are to their, to what, what left of the empire. And that's why this era, this era in Star Wars is so interesting for the empire because they become the rebels. They are so small and they don't have a lot of power left that they become all the more interesting as protagonists because they're not just the oh yes, we have thousands of star destroyers and we out now and we outnumber you 100 to 1. No, it actually puts them on a on an equal playing field and that's why I love it so much and mm. that's why it's become all the more interesting when you see them because it brings up so many questions is what are you guys fighting for? You guys are literally just fighting to keep it alive, which is it's it's it is just so interesting, and it's interesting as to see what what like you know what point it gets to until the Force Awakens when there quite literally are none of them left, and they're just completely replaced by the First Order. Um, yeah. So yeah, because yeah, you you think we from what we heard of how the First Order was created is like the most loyal to the Empire people like went off into the unknown regions to keep going or to like rebuild or whatnot, but like the people that were generally left were like, like Imperial warlord little. Yeah, little like a uh, yeah war bands of like led by small warlords uh, and whatnot. But I think I guess this idea of uh, Moff Gideon that we're is it Moff Gideon? Yes. 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 That we're seeing is like he like leads through like um, fanaticism and like incredible loyalty. I think that's a really interesting of exploring his his little war band of like of rep- of imperials and like the way he does it. Like is like he's actually quite a legitimate threat, unlike some of the smaller ones. I think. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing is that there's so much that we still have to learn about Moff Gideon himself. You know, how did he get the saber from Bo-Katan? Why does he want the child? Because, you know, even in, in chapter eight, when he says, you have something I want, you know, he's clearly talking about the child, you know, and we still don't know why. We still don't even know why they, they wanted the child in the first place. Like, you know, what they were doing to him mm. in that machine on Navarro. Like, we yeah, still don't have any answers oh, yeah. that I imagine that we'll start to get answers, uh, you know, once we meet up with with Gideon again but um yeah and look you know what I feel like I sort of just want to end this conversation on some little on some theorizing that we might get with Ahsoka because Ahsoka not only am I so so excited to see one of my favorite Star Wars characters back especially in live action um but yeah it, it brings up so many interesting points because if Ahsoka has seemingly settled on this planet does that mean her search for Ezra mm. is over 
You know, she's still searching for Ezra uh, Bridger at this point because this yeah. only takes place. We... This... this is the thing. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be curious as to how much Rebel is brought into this. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think at the very least, if we don't see him, we'll, he'll be mentioned because if if they just like do it like, no, I'm here. You know, it's, I gave up. I gave up searching for Ezra. There would just be a lot of weird, like, yeah, it would be just, it would be very, very weird. Like, oh, we're just gonna drop that whole plot line from uh, Star Rebels, unless they like bring it up in like a comic book or something, which I don't think they have so far. But like, you just you have to go a fine line of like not alien alienating people who've got no idea, but also like you know not going over what's previously been done. And I think we'll be all right because, yeah, Dave Filoni, as I said, has been the one who worked in Clone Wars and Rebels and now is helping with Mandalorian. So it makes sense. Well, yeah, because that's the thing is that a couple of weeks ago, if you had told me that along along with seeing Ahsoka, we would have seen like, oh, yeah, just so happens that she's also there with Ezra and Sabine and maybe Thrawn's yeah. killing there too, you know? Like, <laughs> a couple a couple, a couple, a couple weeks ago, that would have been completely yeah. unthinkable. But based on some of the stuff that we got in this episode, it seems so entirely plausible now that you can't just dismiss it, which is, so, which is really interesting. Because, you know, hmm. look, it feels as though whenever Dave Filoni creates something Star Wars-wise, he really has an overarching plan that he wants to um that he wants to see come to fruition like he wouldn't have ended mm. rebels saying yeah sabine and ahsoka are gonna go off looking for ezra and thrawn if he didn't have an idea as to how to pay it off and whether it be in this part of the mandalorian whether it be in a series that might be coming soon whether it be in this i don't know bad batch se- series that we're going to get even though that takes place nowhere near <laughs> what well, i don't know even yep. i don't even know why is it that at this point uh but you know it just brings up this right. idea that we're going to get an answer because yeah that's Dave the thing being- Dave Maloney has, has done has has happened a number of times where he's continued plot threads that he might have brought up in one show or like had been dropped in later things he's done it's happened a bunch of times with clone wars rebels mandalorian like so you know i wouldn't be surprised i just don't i think it, we 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 could see could like we could just see them in the show. I think it depends on how important they are to the show. Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from the book. Uh, in the first episode, um, Cobb Vanth. Cobb Vanth was like a very minor character, but because they wanted to work through the story with his with um Boba Fett's armor, it, it had already been done. He ne- kind of needed to be there, or they could have just ignored it. Um, what's her name? Uh, Bo-Katan makes sense to the story of the Mandalorian with the progression of how it's going. And then, of course, Ahsoka Tano is the story they wanted to tell. They want to use her as the Jedi, to which the Yoda, maybe Yoda's going to be worked out or whatnot. I just feel like the further you go towards, maybe you could be, it could make sense that Sabine's there. It would make less sense that Ezra's there. And I feel like the further you go, the less, like, it, it, it reaches a point where it's like, do they need to be in this story? No, they don't need to be in the story. But, you know, if we're going mm. to see Ahsoka, it's going to be really interesting as to what her life is like at this point. Because, you know, she... she I, I looked it up shortly after we got the, you know, the, the name drop in this week's episode. She is 41 in the year that we're in right now. If we can still... If we still want to say that Wait, we're Ahsoka? in nine... Ahsoka is 41 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she's... You know, she's a middle-aged woman at this point. So, you know, it'd be interesting as to what her life is like at this point. Because did she mm. find Ezra? We don't know. Like, is, is she still hanging around with Sabine? We also don't know. You know, because um, yes. it's... 
because it'd also be really enlightening as to see uh, if she'll even shed some light on what happened to her in the gap of her uh, story in Rebels. How did she go from going deep into that Malachor temple to basically yeah. ending up back on Lothal where she picks up Sabine and their story goes off after Rebels ends? You know, we don't know any of that stuff. And Filoni being Filoni and Ahsoka being Ahsoka, we might get an answer. So that's that. Yeah, um, so I, I think we'll definitely learn a lot about Ahsoka because like they probably will want to talk about her for people who might not have experienced her in the previous things but yeah it'll be interesting to see to what extent all of that's explored or whatnot. yeah and interesting thing is is that actually i don't actually think that we're going to see ahsoka next week i think we might see her in, in, in chapter five only because of the fact that interesting. um yeah because i have a feeling that okay so this idea First stems from the fact that, t- that next week's episode is being directed by Carl Weathers, the actor of Grief Karga. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, so I think that t- next week's episode is actually going to go back to Navarro and, mm. uh, and we're going to see uh, Grief Karga and Cara Dune again. And he might yeah. actually be going back to them before venturing out to this Corvus planet. Yeah, that could make sense. Because d- maybe he needs their help. Maybe he needs directions. I don't know. Um, because who knows where this Corvus planet is? Because, you know, if if exactly. this... Because if Ahsoka and Sabine's search led them out into the unknown regions, this planet Corvus might be, like, you know, known only to a few. So we really don't know. Uh, so I don't... So I honestly think that we won't see Ahsoka next week. I think we'll see her the week after. Um, which, you know, my, my fan brain is saying, no, give me to her now. Uh, <laughs> give her to her now. I want to talk uh, her now. No. Um, but at the same time, I understand <laughs> that, uh, things need to be built up and, uh, it'll create all the more of an impactful thing when we actually do get to see her. And God, I like, I would hate to be Rosario Dawson having to be kept quiet this entire time because you know what? We've been talking about it ag nauseum since the release of season two, but at the same time, it's never actually been properly confirmed that she was playing Ahsoka, but people, but, but, mm. um, it was just so, it was just rumored on and on and on and on that it almost if like that many people have like said that it's probably true it's probably true this is the difference between like what's like rumored to be like people have found out through like um industry or like heard about as opposed to everyone has collectively come to the assumption that it must be this where it's like i guess to compare it to uh, Moncala or whatnot, everyone's like, oh, Moncala's gonna be in this. It's like, no, we just all looked at that and thought that could be Moncala, as opposed to Ahsoka, where it's like, no, we heard from multiple different things that it's probably Ahsoka and it's probably Rosario Dawson. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, I think that is a very good way to wrap up the discussion for the episode. Yeah, we had a bit of a longer one this time. We did have a bit of a longer one, but this episode definitely called for it. I'll say it again. This might be my favorite episode of The Mandalorian so far. Just so much of this stuff was so brilliantly executed. Again, not even not even completely, uh, you know, because of the fan service stuff that we got. The episode was so well constructed from the pacing to the score to the beauty of the shots that we got. There's a one shot where Mando's like looking out to the sunrise that just makes me want to see everything that Bryce Dallas Howard uh, brings to this universe as well as other stuff in star wars i think she did so so well uh and mm. yeah no yeah, she's, she's had some of the some really good episodes i think her last season episode was one of my favorite of the whole show so well, yeah because she, she directed the um the uh the one where they're on the farm and they fight the atst that was her episode last last season mm. 
So yeah, I um I'll be very interested because you know the first episode was directed by John Favreau, the second one was directed by Peyton Reed, and the next Bryce Dallas Howard. So two of the people we've already gotten, uh, one person new, that being Peyton Reed, and next week we're gonna get another person who's completely new directing wise, which is uh Carl Weathers, which is interesting because I mean I love Carl Weathers because of Apollo Creed and Dylan in Predator and stuff, but I'm curious as to what he's gonna be like directing wise. So I mean he's a very talented guy. It should be I'm good. excited. To, uh, I'm excited to see what he'll bring I, to the show. I was a big fan of Carl Weathers in the first season, so to see him back, or hopefully we'll see him back, that'll be really exciting. Very exciting. And that, guys, brings an end to this episode. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the episode of The Mandalorian. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Telling the Odds as well. So uh, the time codes for our uh, whole two discussions are going to be available in our description, as well as the fact that we'll be, we will be available on YouTube. Slight amendment to how we usually do things. Uh, since the YouTube upload normally takes us a little while because, you know, just, you know, upload speeds and what have you, uh, we are going to be starting to release the YouTube version of the episodes on Wednesday. We'll be releasing Wednesday, uh, same time, 12 p.m. AEST, just a little bit later on in the week so that we can have a little bit more time to, uh, work out the logistics of the, some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But that's, that's the only thing that's going to change. Um, also something that's, uh, pretty cool, uh, that you guys could definitely keep your eyes out for, uh, this week will be Life Day. Uh, so happy life day to you all. I hope you enjoy your life day and uh, happy life yeah, day, everyone. Gonna... And the 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 Star the Lego Star Wars holiday special is going to come out this week, so we'll definitely yes. uh, shed some light on that, um, mm. which is which, which will be fun for us to watch halfway through this week. Uh, but not only that, the following week, once we've had some time to review it and put it together, we will be doing a watch along of the original 1978 Star Wars holiday special. We will be dropping that. <laughs> Uh, halfway through next week, we will give you guys an update as to when it will be dropping. Uh, you'll probably get the first premiere of our actual faces, which is interesting. Um, cause mm. it's for up till now, it's just be been good. our voices. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, but, uh, yeah, that's, it, we're very excited to do it. Other than the fact that we'll be watching the holiday special, that could be challenging. Um, but we're excited <laughs> to do it because no, it's going to be, be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to yeah. be a whole lot of fun. We're going to have a great time and I hope you guys will have a great time once you actually get to watch our reaction of it. Uh, and again, we will shed light on that as it Watch continues to that, evolve and uh, be ready to be put out to you guys. Other than that, social media, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, we're all, uh, sorry, you, YouTube, uh, sorry, start again, Jack, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> oh, and Twitter. Yeah. There you go. I fixed it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you'll find all of our updates and all the relevant stuff about us there. And that is everything, guys. We'll be back next week to talk about not only the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, but also uh, ep Chapter 12 of The Mandalorian to see where that takes us. It should be very interesting. Yep. Um, that's very good. And yeah, very, very good. Very excited. And uh, that's it, guys. Michael, anything else to add? Uh, no, I mean, again, it's so good having weekly Star Wars content, but uh, enjoy Life Day. I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing extra things for this podcast because it's a real passion of ours. And so it's always fun it doing is. stuff like that. So uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as we do. Celebrate day of peace. <laughs> we celebrate our day of peace. <laughs> yes, uh, you guys I celebrate can't. your day of peace <laughs> on so Life good. Day. And you, oh, it's going to be a barrel of laughs. I can't wait. Uh, can't that's wait. it, guys. Thank you guys for watching. This has been Telling Tell the Odds. Them.